Hello and welcome back to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Ulster have come through a wet and windy game at Rodney Parade and um, drying off on this week's Ulster Rugby Roundup podcast are Jonathan Bradley and Adam McCandry. Hello boys. Hey guys. I don't know why I said you're drying off because like, I know you weren't there or playing in the game but it just felt... Uh, it was also three days ago so like... <laughs> it just felt appropriate for the weather we've had. Johnny, I'm sorry. All right. Hadn't written anything for my intro and I felt under pressure and that's just what I went with. So that's what came out. So here we are. Tis what it is. Well, it was very good, Gareth. Very commendable. <laughs> We're one of those moods today. Great. <laughs> Not many people have your improv skills. <laughs> so uh, we, of course, have that game to discuss and we look ahead to the Ireland uh, Six Nations return against Italy on Sunday at three o'clock. Plenty of you looking to know. Just how many Ulster players will be involved in that one? We'll have a go at uh, guessing that and then see just how wrong we were when the team comes out later in the week. Uh, we have loads more listener questions uh, besides that. But first of all, then, that uh, 12-0 win uh, against the Dragons and the conditions, as we say, were absolutely horrific. Can you remember a, a worse game conditions-wise in, in recent years? I remember no, one game... Of- the other day, that like Harlequins game and then when the roof started coming up. Maybe felt a bit din- more dangerous, but it's very hard to judge, obviously, having not been there. But I actually quite enjoyed the game because the conditions were so bad. Like, it was something, uh, there was something novel about the conditions being so yeah. bad that you had guys, like, trying to drop the ball on their boot and it blowing away in the space, <laughs> <laughs> in the split second between releasing it from their hand and it, it getting to their foot. So, yeah, um, I quite liked it. There's something almost sadistic about it. It's like watching a professional golfer shanking a shot where there's a wee bit of you just go, this is bloody great to see them struggling in that. It's where you reduce the professionals back down to amateur level and you feel like, oh, I could do that. I could I could make a good fist of accidentally slicing a kick out on the full from the opposite side of the pitch. No, I agree with Johnny. I think it was a great watch. It was a lot of fun just to see how players cope with really tough conditions that we haven't seen them have to deal with. And it really did bring back memories of that uh, that game against Harlequins. I remember I was at that game as a fan and the evacuation of the wee small stand that they had put up down the memorial end uh, and then having to walk all the way back to the car afterwards. Great memories, but you never want to have to deal with that again. So glad we were at home instead of at Newport. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It was like, that was the game, I think, where the substitutes, uh, like after they <laughs> came off, were like wrapped in those jackets that you see being given to like refugees when they're like coming out of the ocean, basically having having traveled across <laughs> the channel. Oh, what, the big tinfoil ones? Yeah. That says it all then. Um, so given the conditions, I suppose a, a bonus point win was never realistic. Uh, but the scoreline of, of 12 mil in the win that Ulster got was um, probably just about as good as they could hope for. And they'll be, they'll have gone home very pleased with that performance, wouldn't they, John? Yeah, I mean, without the platform of the line out, um, it was always going to be very difficult. And obviously, especially in that first half, when you were kicking to the corner, you weren't really kicking to the corner at all because the ball was being blown back mm-hmm. between the t- edge of the 22 and the halfway line. There were some of Burns' <laughs> kicks. It didn't even look like they went forward, really, when they were going out over over the touchdowns. He didn't have much of a platform there. And it, like, if you think about the course of the game, because the second half when Ulster were playing with the wind at their back probably wasn't as impressive as what they did 
yeah. in the first half playing into the wind. And they, the only other chances they really had were that one where Nathan Duke was held up. And I don't know, I think it was probably a try, but it's another one of those situations where with the wording to the TMO, you probably see it not given. And then the one where they got the five-meter scrum from the misplayed ball in the uh, in the backfield by the Dragons, and then there was a knock-on on the line from Treadwell. Mm. They didn't have a great many more scoring opportunities than that, so you can look at it and say, you know, if they had been really, really uber-clinical and taken both of those, they could have got the bonus point to try. But like I say, without, uh, without the line-out platform throughout the game, really, it was very, very difficult to create opportunities. Even the uh, the first try, which for me was really the winning of the game because it was such a body blow for Dragons mm-hmm. to go in behind having played with the wind in the first half. Like That was really just the product of a brilliant James Hume break, sort of out of nothing and completely out of context in the way the game was going. And then good execution through the big clear out from Robbie Little and then just Marcus Ray being who I thought played really, really well again, just being uh, being on hand to finish it off. Like it wasn't a game full of opportunities for either side. Like obviously Dragons got nilled, but there weren't many occasions when they looked like they were going to score really beyond that uh, penalty that was put wide of the posts. Yeah, and probably a lot of that, as we say, down to the conditions, Adam. We talked there about the the line-out. Kyle Alderson has asked, can we blame Ulster's line-out difficulty solely in the conditions? Because they won nine of 19 line-outs. And, but then he points out as well that Dragons didn't seem to have the same difficulties. They won 11 of, of their 14. Can't put it all down to the conditions because at the end of the day, even if the conditions are horrendous, which they were, you can just go to the front of the line-out. It makes the opposition's uh, defense a little bit easier, but theoretically, you should still be able to win most of your lineouts because you're the one making the calls and when the lifters go up. So, look, there there is a degree that it is down to the conditions, especially whenever you're throwing to the middle or the tail. But at the end of the day, if you can throw to the front, then uh, I think you can't say that it, it was all down to the conditions. I think some of that has to go in the callers and why didn't you go to the front a little bit more? I'm actually going to disagree with the previous question because I, I feel like I, I have to make this point. I think there was a bonus point on offer for Ulster there and people will probably think I'm mad. But if you look at what the Dragons did in the first half, all they did was kick. All they did was put it down the throat of the Ulster players. Rod Little was superb at the back. He was fielding everything bar one. Uh, Balakun did well in that regard too, and they rarely tested Ben Moxham for some reason, which I thought they would do as sort of the least experienced member of Ulster's back three, but uh, they decided just to test Rod Little. It looked like a bad tactic at the time because all they were doing was kicking down the throat of the Ulster players. But in actuality, all it did was pin Ulster back, and they were forced to either run it back or kick it back. Now, the Dragons didn't get much purchase from that, but for me, that was the tactic that Ulster should have used a lot more in the second half, because at the very least, okay, you might not force the mistake from the Dragons, but given the wind that they were playing into, which was actually stronger in the second half in Ulster's favour than it was in the Dragons in the first half, you're either going to force the Dragons to kick, which isn't going to go very far, and you're going to gain field position. You're just going to slowly work your way up the pitch that way, or you're going to force the mistake and get field position 
uh, that way instead. So for me, Ulster tried to do too much, in my opinion. I think they should have just played it simple, play territory, and whenever the Dragons make mistakes, because look at, at the end of the day, Dragons are a very limited team. They've won one game this season. There's a reason for that. They're not a team playing with a lot of confidence, so they will make mistakes. And then you have Marcus Ray and Nick Timoney, who are playing so well, probably could have poached a few balls at the breakdown every so often to get you a few penalties down there. For me, Ulster just tried to do too much. That was a game where you just revert everything back to basics and you just try to play the game as simply as possible. And they didn't play territory with the wind advantage as much as they did and that I think is why after doing the hard work in the first half where they kept Dragons out with that wind advantage and actually went in ahead thanks to that great try in the second half they score early and then they just never took advantage of it I just think they tried too hard I think there was a bonus point there for them if they just played territory what do you think Johnny tactical errors second half I think the second half was definitely scrappy and <laughs> scruffy but like we're talking about conditions that uh the vast majority and i would say quite possibly all of these players have never faced before so i wouldn't say that they played it tactically brilliantly i don't think dan mcfarland would say either but i think i'd be obviously more willing to cut them a bit of slack than uh than Adam would be and like yes dragons aren't great but they haven't been thumped an awful lot either like you know they've won one game away to Connacht which is more than Ulster managed to do like the uh, Ospreys defeat Leinster defeat and Scarlet's defeat came by a combined seven points like I think the only teams who have beaten them by more than two clear scores are Edinburgh and um, Glasgow the two Scottish sides so I think in it, yes, in an ideal world, you're looking five points, but like, I think it's less of a dropping of points than um, other games this season. I'm not. I'm not saying they should have got a bonus point, but I think it was there for them, and they didn't come as close to a bonus point as they should have come. You know, if you, if you're talking about being in a position where you've scored two tries after what was it, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, that they, they scored pretty quickly after the restart and you've got a highland wind at your back. All right, it, it is still tough to play and it's not like just because you've got the wind at your back, you're automatically guaranteed X number of points. But I still think there were, Ulster rarely threatened the line after they scored their second try and I think that's probably what will annoy them more. If, if it was a case of they were pounding on the line time after time and they just weren't able to get over because the Dragons were defending well or something like that, then I think you hold your hands up and say, all right, fair enough. That's that's just the way the game went. But I just feel Ulster did not control territory as much as they should have as a team who had that kind of a wind at their back, even though the conditions were what they were. Well, Ulster, it leaves Ulster second in the table level on points with Leinster, but Leinster have a game in hand and they're just a point ahead of Glasgow, five ahead of Munster, who also have a game in hand on them. So uh, fingers crossed either way come the end of the season that it's not a, a bonus point they are regretting not getting. Um, Johnny Nick Timoney, given the captain's armband for the first time, we spoke a lot on this podcast over the last under a year, maybe just as, as to just how good he has been. Um, and he gave a little a very interesting insight into his side of that after the game and when he was speaking to the press um, spoke quite candidly about the, the changes he'd made didn't he? 
Yeah, he always speaks very well. Like, to be fair, an awful lot of this sort of, I would say the majority of this group of young Ulster players that are sort of pushing on into Ireland and even the ones that haven't pushed on into international recognition all seem to speak quite well. And um, he's spoken about it before, just that sort of mental reset that he had to undergo really December of uh, 2020 when he was out of the squad and obviously conveniently for Ulster coincided with uh, the announcement that Marcel could see was going to be leaving. But for him to captain the side for the first time, and like we know that Ulster do sort of rotate the captaincy around whenever Henderson's not playing, but I think it does show again just the strides that he's made in terms of his position in the squad because, you know, you can be a good player without being viewed as a leader, if you like. And, you know, rugby is always talking about the leadership groups and things that they have. So to see, like I know he's 26, but to see one of those players that we view as one of the younger players moving into that type of leadership role and filling that kind of um, position in the squad is obviously a good thing. And I think he played really well as well. Like I thought him and Marcus Ray were both very good. Um, in a game that, for me anyway, the battle at the at the breakdown and of the two back rows was probably where the fiercest competition was in the game. Mm-hmm. Adam, Timoney and Ray were probably two of Ulster's best performances. Do you think um, one of them should have been man of the match? I'm going to just introduce the man of the match debate here after another one for for Dougie. I mean, it was a great kick, but uh, what do you think? Yeah, I think one of them should have been man of the match. And like we, we all know that Nathan Doak continues to impress at scrum half, and that kick was something else. Uh, I always love a good bit of ironic commentary where uh, the guys on Premier Sports were talking about how there was no way that he was going to get this and taking bets on how far he would miss the posts, and then he goes and slots it. So the great kick, and under those conditions for a for a scrum half especially whenever you're uh you're having the setback so early of kicking that one out on the full and misjudging the wind to bounce back from that and control his kicking game pretty well was good but that was a game that was won in the forwards and for me uh i would probably have given it to timmy ray gave away a couple of penalties which is probably the only sort of decisive factor um which is probably why i would have given it to timmy but look those two are working so well in tandem together, and we've seen that during the European Games. We've seen that during the uh, during the pro or sorry the URC as well. And right now, I think you've got that nice balance. Whenever you've got, uh, especially whenever you've got Ray at six, Timoney at seven, and Vermeulen at eight, I think that's a very nice balanced back row. And for all the excitement of talking about having Jordy Murphy back last week potentially, which look, is, is going to be a massive boost to Ulster because of what he brings to the team. I mean, I think we forget how good he was at the tail end of last season. But right now, you, you can't make an argument to to drop any of Ray or Timoney, and especially not from Eulen, obviously. So for me, like that's those two are probably your best back rowers at the moment, and then you add from Eulen back into the mix. So... Uh, yeah, I'll I'll say Timoney was was my man of the match, but Ray was very very close behind for me. Rob Little deserves a mention as well. I, I thought he was excellent from fullback, especially whenever you consider what he was what he was being peppered with in the first half from the boot of Sam Davis. Yeah, absolutely. 
Johnny, what do you think about this man of the match debate? It just seems to go to Nathan Duke more often than not these days. Is that because of who he is? Is it because of people just like a kicker? Or is it because he actually is man of the match? Well, no, he's obviously played really well in a lot of games. I wouldn't, like, disparage Nathan Duke at all. I do think, in general, like, I suppose what you're touching on is the fact that people view man of the match as some kind of, like, measurable statistic. When more often than not, four or five guys plays well, and then a one co-commentator picks them out of the match. So it's like, you know, I guess we talk about this whenever we're doing ratings and stuff. Like, if you look whenever there are multiple papers doing ratings, so say for an Ireland game, like the spread of, of opinion from one person to the next is often quite large, and it will be the same with one of the match. Like sometimes, sometimes it's really obvious. Other times there could be any number of candidates and the person tasked with picking the man of the match, who, by the way, is also having to co-commentate on rugby, which is a very difficult... Co-commentating is difficult at the best of times, but for a sport like rugby, is an even greater challenge and then has to like pick out the one player out of the uh, normally 46 who is the best. Like There's not always a head and shoulders candidate and then it just comes down to... Uh, one person picking one player like it's not uh it's not like minutes played and tries scored or something like that where it is genuinely uh a binary measurable yeah i remember a few years ago i was doing ratings and in my ratings i gave one player a better rating than the player that was given man of the match at the time uh and someone came on to me on Twitter and was like, how can you do this? You know, this player was man of the match. Surely he gets the highest rating. And, you know, I was honest enough. And I was like, I thought this player had a better game than the player that got man of the match. It's, it's a completely arbitrary thing. And it's completely down to personal opinion. You know, any if, if you watch any kind of debate on social media after a game as to who played the best, you will never get everyone giving the same answer in any game there's a there's a very rare occasion where somebody has an absolute stormer and it's a consensus decision but the majority of games you will have wide opinions so just because nathan dope got man on the match in this game doesn't necessarily mean he was head and shoulders above everybody else it just means that that's who the co-commentators decided who it would be and you know, it doesn't take away from what Marcus Ray or Nick Timoney or Rob Little did on the day. It, it was more just that that's who they decided it was going to be. And I think the more important thing is, you know, you come back in on a Monday morning as a player, you have your review and whether you were man of the match or you thought that you deserved the lowest rating in the team, you're going to be treated the same way in the video review. You're going to have your mistakes pointed out. You're going to have your good things pointed out. And, uh, I think it's a good thing that players don't read our ratings on the on the next day. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. I think like that point as well about the co-commentators having enough to think about is a good one too. Like, um, commentating is not easy, and you've so much to think about, and you're sort of focusing on your own performance as much as anything. So, um, yeah, then people people then give off and say, oh, "How could you give him all the match?" I think people who watch the game just are fans and don't have everything else to think about maybe could sometimes even have a clearer view of who, who the man of the match is, ironically, uh, I think, anyway. But uh, there yeah, we go. It's trying to do another job at the same time as watch exactly. the game. Yeah. You're going to see more of the game. Exactly, exactly. I'll never forget the years ago covering a football, a football match. My uncle was there watching 
and uh, I but I was co- I was freelancing at the time, so I was literally covering it for like four papers, I think. And then after the game, my uncle rang me. I was like, "Wasn't that great? Didn't such and such play well?" I was like, "I have no idea." I spent the whole game looking at my laptop and was lucky to glance up and catch the goals. Um, so yeah, that uh, there we go. Anyway. So, of course, it is something that uh, everybody will disagree on. And uh, perhaps there were some people that would have put James Hume's name forward for a potential man of the match. As you'd said earlier, Johnny, his work for that uh, opening try was uh, was pretty special. And on a big weekend for him because he was uh, looking to do anything extra he could to put his name in the frame for Ireland against Italy on Sunday. Yeah, obviously, all those guys that were released are... um... Hoping, I suppose, that there'll be rotation for the uh, for the Italy game because naturally we've only seen twenty minutes from Hume off the bench against Wales, and then uh, Henderson coming off the bench against France. So it's not been a great mm-hmm. representation so far, despite the number that were in the wider squad. So, and given the the game that it was, James probably couldn't have done an awful lot more to to catch any onlooking eyes. No, well, I mean. You look at guys, say, like, Balakun is the example, you know, like, how much was a winger going to do to press his case yeah. in uh, in a game like that? I think the most uh, the most we saw of him was when he was struggling to get his contact lens in in the wind. <laughs> so, um, Did he ever get his contact lens in? They kind of cut away before they showed whether he just gave up or actually <laughs> got it in. Well, I think the wind blew it away and then he just kind of had to... I'm not saying that, you know, Ulster are underprepared, but, like, I would be surprised if they have a backup contact lens and then another backup contact lens. Um, He was playing the match with uh, one eye, basically. Yeah, essentially what we're saying is he played an hour of that game blind. (laughs) Well, he caught the next ball. It was, I think, Dragons targeted him fairly quickly after that and he, he caught the ball without any issues, so... Uh, fair play to Dragons for noticing that and targeting him. You can just imagine that here. That boy can't say, go for him. Another one of those, well, there were six Ireland players and all released back to Ulster. One of them wasn't even in the, the squad in the end, um, Mike Lowry. Ben just wants to know, did he remain with the Irish squad in the end or is he injured or what happened? Adam, do know? Because obviously you would have assumed when these players are getting released back to Ulster, they're getting released with the specific aim of going to get game time. Yeah, and I think the fact that all the other Ireland players started on Sunday was a representation of what Ireland wanted them to do. So the fact that Larry wasn't there is probably an indication that uh, he either did pick up a knock or he's back to Ireland camp. But I think we got a, a decent clue as to what might have happened by the fact that both James Lowe and Jimmy O'Brien were called up to the squad, to the Ireland squad earlier this yeah. week. Ireland aren't exactly low on back three options. So oh, for them to call low. <laughs> accidental pun. I, <laughs> I, I can't take credit for trying to do that deliberately. Um, uh, no, Ireland weren't exactly short on back three options to begin with. So the fact that they've called in two more to me, suggests that potentially there are injuries in camp that they need to cover. One of them might be Lowry, uh, which is why he didn't play on Sunday, but it could be that Lowry was called back to camp yeah. because he 
because somebody else picked up a knock and they feel like they need him to play against Italy. So we'll see as the week goes on. I'm, I'm sure there'll be stuff comes out whenever Ireland do their, their media updates ahead of the game. But uh, to me, it would suggest that there's injury somewhere within the Ireland squad. It might be Larry or it might be that he has been called back because they are planning on having him cover an injury. Yeah. He has played all but one game on five minutes since the start of December as well. Like, mm. Yeah, but like the same the, the same game because everybody played the Scarlet's game and he's missed five other minutes beyond that. Yeah, but the same applies to the likes of Timoney, you know, and yet he still well, went Timoney back and played 80 Timoney minutes. He missed more than that in the last game because he was on the bench in the last game. I, I still think if, if Ireland are releasing him back, they want him to play. I don't think they'd release him back to Ulster and then say, we're giving him, but you don't have to play him. Well, fingers crossed either way that he is uh, not injured and uh, may get onto the team sheet on Sunday. We'll talk about that more in just a little minute because before that, we have a new signing or prospective new signing, not yet confirmed. But uh, we understand that Frank Bradshaw Ryan uh, is going to be coming into Ulster at the end of this season. Now, JW just wants some more information and background on him. And uh, William Doyle, uh, obviously he's a lock, so William Doyle asks, does his signing suggest that maybe Sam Carter is leaving at the end of the season? So what do we know, Johnny, about uh, Frank Bradshaw Ryan? Sam Carter's contacted for next year as well. So uh, um... Yes, sorry, just to deal with that one off the bat. Uh, yeah, so unlikely that that uh, means that he's leaving, but what do we know about this guy? Well, he's 26. He's played Irish under 19s before. He got as far as the Munster Sub Academy. He's been playing in France for six years or so. He's racked up near 100 appearances in the Pro D2. So that's the level that he's been playing at. And is there an element of sort of uh, hit and hope with this sort of sign? And there's minimal risk get him in and, and see what happens. If he can play a little part, that's probably what's expected. And if he can play a big part and surprise people, maybe like Bradley Roberts has, then uh, all well and good. But it's it's not what they're expecting necessarily. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad example. Um, I mean, they have got Henderson when he plays. Treadwell, O'Connor, Carter is a two. Obviously, Dave O'Connor's already gone on loan away to Ealing. And what's the last year of his deal? And Mick Carney was only ever here on a short-term deal. So, you know, you could slot him in as the sixth choice to start next season. Doesn't mean that the sixth choice guy is never going to play, but I wouldn't say it has much of a knock-on effect for guys that you mentioned there, like Sam Carter. Yeah, yeah. So He's, he's, the, kind of, he's the kind of guy that you're probably bringing in on a relatively cheap deal who's not... He's Irish qualified, so it's not like you're taking a punt on a foreign player or anything like that. If it works out, great. He might come in really impressed in preseason. Turns out he's got a massive amount of potential that just he hasn't ever really shown at this level up to this point. Or he might be the kind of guy that you just say at the, at the end of his deal that he, he had a shot and he just wasn't up to it. So it's, it's it's one of those signings that could go either way or he could just settle into one of those really important depth spots. Before we move on to the Six Nations then, there 
is one question that was left over from last week that we didn't get time for, but don't worry, Raymond, we did not forget you. Uh, the question was, where on earth is Sean Reedy? Hasn't been on any injury updates or anything, but we're just not seeing him in matches. Adam, do we have any stare on, on what's happening? Well, my understanding is he is out of contract at the end of the season, and I don't think there's going to be another one next season. He's just seems to have fallen out of favour, and therefore it looks like his time at Kingspan Stadium is coming to an end. And it's a real shame that it is because he has been so good for Ulster over the years. Just one of those really reliable guys that you can plug into any role in that in that back row, and he he's done really well anytime he's been called upon. But I think just the fact that he's not been playing this year is just down to Dan wants to take a look at the other guys in the back row. You've got Dave McCann, who is still young and still has a lot of potential to to show in that back row that I think they really want to give him the chance to, to try and reach. Greg Jones, I think, has been really dependable whenever you bring him in. Obviously, Marcus Ray has now really uh, nailed down probably that sixth jersey and you've got Jordy Murphy to come back so Reedy seems to be the one that's uh, on the outside looking in and especially if he's not going to be in your long-term plans then it makes sense to take a look at what you do have instead hopefully there will be a chance for him down the stretch and we haven't seen the last of him in an Ulster jersey already but it certainly seems to be going that way. Okay, well, one to keep an eye on then uh, come the end of the season. So on to Ireland then. It is the return of the Six Nations this weekend. Ireland play Italy at home on Sunday at three o'clock and Saturday. Then Scotland take on France and England will face Wales. As regards Ireland's game, the big talking point for us and for our listeners are how many Ulster players are going to be involved. Now, one that we know is definitely not going to be involved because uh, we're recording this for the second time because uh, during the first recording, Ireland announced that Tom O'Toole will miss the game. He's out injured, unfortunately. I think it was a hamstring strain, it was said, wasn't it? It picked up uh, in the Ulster game at the weekend, so, which is very unfortunate for Tom. Plenty of listener questions asking uh, about this then. Just Big Jim wants to know, will we see one Ulster player in the Matchday squad? Being an optimist, he reckoned two. Perhaps the second of those, though, was Tom O'Toole. Uh, and JW and Philip Totten both looking to know as well how many people will be involved and how will those call-ups for James Lowe and Jimmy O'Brien, as we talked about earlier, how will those impact the game time of uh, Larry and Balakoon? So just uh, as a quick refresher, O'Toole not there, but in the squad remains Balakun, Hume, Lowry, Henderson, Herring, Timoney and Treadwell. Jonathan, first of all, Tom O'Toole, would, were you expecting him to be involved? Do you know what? I would have been because I don't think, and especially given how many minutes they rely on him to play when he does play, I don't think Tyg Furlong was going to play every game in this championship. And there are only three tight heads in the squad, it remains to be seen what Ireland are going to do because they could obviously put Furlong and uh, Bielham out there again against Italy in some combination, Furlong on the bench maybe, but um, they're still going to have to have somebody there as cover as we know that they always they always do in those front row positions. So I don't know what Adam thinks. Like, I don't think there's any real obvious candidate to come in like we have seen John Ryan in squads before but um not for a while and he's leaving Irish rugby which does tend to uh 
as we've even seen recently with Hilton Deland beyond the the well publicized example of Simon Zebo a few years back. Whenever you announce your intention to leave, let alone leave, um, you don't seem to be considered for selection. So be interesting to see what they do there. Obviously, like I think we've spoke about this quite a lot about being fans of Marty Moore, but he hasn't he was actually involved in that as it was deemed a stock take um post-World Cup whenever Farrell came in. But um he hasn't won a cap since he left Leinster. So be a big jump back in for him and then all aboard the Marty Murr hype train. <laughs> Here it comes after after years of calling for him to be recalled to the Ireland squad. This is his time. I mean, I, like, I, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Marty Murr, and I think he's been uh, he's been playing well for a while now. But it would be it would be something of a story to see him uh, parachuted back into the squad and playing in the Six Nations now, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, the, if if you if you do think about it, though, the, who else are you gonna? call up Stephen Archer from Munster possibly like for me Marty Murr is probably the player that you want to call up because his skill set now with Ulster that he has developed that we have seen him playing with where he is now able to be that that ball playing tight head as opposed to just your robust ball carrying tight head I think that's the kind of guy that Andy Farrell would really want to have in the squad so for me if you are going to call someone up and I'll, I'll be honest I don't think they are going to call anybody up because if uh, if they were going to I think they would have done it in line with announcing that Tom O'Toole was out but if you're going to call someone up I, I don't see why it wouldn't be Murr because to me he is the next guy up and he is probably the tight head in Ireland who is not already in the squad that fits the mould of what Ireland are trying to do at the moment Mm. Well, time will tell. I think, as you say, the standard practice normally is that they do just call them up within the same release as the injuries announced. So perhaps unlikely, but they, you never know Absolutely. at this stage. Like they do have the option, sorry, to cut across, they do have the option of um, if it's purely for cover, then having Andrew Porter mm. as tight head cover. Because, you know, you look at the Leinster team at the weekend, it was Michael. Uh, Alatoa who's playing he's obviously not eligible for Ireland and then Tom Clarkson as Adam said you know the, the monster had Stephen Archer and uh, John Ryan and Ulster obviously with Marty Merce so I guess theoretically given that you are talking about a sort of emergency situation more than anything else if one of your two guys was to go down in the warm-up, I suppose you could just have Porter there as your extra man. Mm. Assuming he isn't going to play in the game himself, I suppose you could have him as your 24th man covering both sides of the scrum. Mm. Well, if Tom O'Toole isn't going to be involved, then Adam, which of the other Ireland play- or Ulster players sorry, do you think are most likely to get game time? And who do you, well, who do you think is going to, going to be involved? Ian Henderson for, for one? Uh, Henderson, I think, has to be involved after uh, returning in Paris. I think you probably want to get him a start just to get him back in the second row and get him uh, get him a bit more game time as well. What what that means for him going forward, I'm not sure because I think James Ryan and Tag Byrne have been going very well in the second row. But certainly, I, I think you want to give him a start here just to 
get him back on the team. Rob Herring, you'd imagine, has to be in line for, for the bench, given that he was one of the three hookers in the initial squad and Dave Heffernan was called up after that. So I think you would like to think that if Shane gets the start, then Herring would be on the bench. But um, again, we know he's been dealing with an injury, so it all depends how he comes through with that. Um, you'd like to see Timoney get get an appearance, but I think there is a desire to see Gavin Coons play. I think uh, Farrell really wants to give him a run at some point, so it wouldn't surprise me to see Coons play instead of Timoney. Um, I think that the back three one is very interesting, just leading on from what we were talking about earlier. It, it all depends sort of what the injury profile is there, and it's it's a little bit surprising that there was nothing mentioned in terms of injuries in the back three alongside Tom O'Toole's release, so maybe there are none. Um, I would like to see Laurie given a shot at fullback. Keenan didn't have his greatest game against France, but we all know that he is so consistent in, in the fullback jersey. And for me, I think it would still be his, even if Laurie had a blinder, uh, if, if he played on Sunday and had a blinder. But, mm. you know, we'll... Um, uh, I think that if Laurie's getting a cap during the Six Nations, if it's not for injury, then I think it's this week. If he doesn't get it this week, then I don't think he plays. Uh, so you really hope that he's in there. Balakun could possibly rotate in for Conway. I mean, the, the biggest decision that Farrell has to make here is which players can he give a week off and know that they will come back for the England game still at their peak performance level you know there are guys like I know he's not competing with an Ulster player but guys like Johnny Sexton you're not rushing Sexton back because you've seen for Leinster where he can take long stretches out of the team and then come back in and perform at that elite level that he always seems to do so you're not rushing him back because you feel like you need to give him a game before the England game Carberry played well enough at the Stade de France that you can put him back in against Italy and you know he's going to do a job for you. And then you've got Sexton ready to go for England. It's not like you need him back in to have a game before the England game. Um, see, before the Tom O'Toole injury news, it was maybe something similar for Tag Furlong where you know you don't need to give him a game this week in order to have him ready for England because he could come back for the England game and still be at that elite level but he's probably, he may have to play this week because they're so short on tight head options. Um, so that that's where the Ulster players maybe come through where where they're replacing guys who they feel like, uh, who Farrell feels like he can give a week off. You know, Balakun could replace Conway. Uh, Hume could replace Keenan. I, I would say at, at most... At most, you're maybe looking at four Ulster players starting, but I would guess you would actually only have... I'm, I'm going to say two are going to start. Henderson will be one of them. I don't know which of the back three will be the other. I have a sneaking suspicion it will be Balakun as opposed to Lowry. I think Hume's going to miss out purely because they want to get Henshaw and Ringrose playing together again. I think that'll be your centre partnership on Sunday. Um so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Henderson and Balakun start. You'll have Herring on the bench, and for the heck of it, I'm gonna say Larry's gonna be on the bench as well. But I'm I'm not confident on that one to be honest. So what's that four Ulster players and all, Jonathan? Is that optimistic? No, I I wouldn't disagree with anything 
Oh, Adam said there, like it is a, a near best case scenario, but like I can see the logic behind all of those. Yeah. Yeah, I've just been beaten down over the last few weeks of getting my hopes up that somebody's <laughs> going to be involved and then just uh, they're not. Uh, so I'm my default You're position. Like is... He launched the Six Nations with a 1300 word feature about Robert Balakin. <laughs> the infamous Balakin feature. <laughs> <laughs> the death knell for his Ireland ambitions, that piece. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, we were looking at uh, the Wales game, and I've been told in midweek that Ulster might not have anybody involved in that game. So for Hume to even yeah. be on the bench was a nice surprise. Exactly. <laughs> that that could have been a very boring week for us if uh, if things had transpired in another way. Well, fingers oh, crossed. It's all in together, team of us. <laughs> 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 so fingers crossed then that you're right and there are a few of those uh, Ulster players getting some game time and who even a six nations start for an Ulster man who would have thought what a time to be alive um, don't ask questions what a time to be alive there's actually tickets available so like oh. it's very rare for like tickets to go on sale yeah. for a six nations game on a, on public sale like so well there really um, anybody fancies going down I mean, they might be sold out by the time this uh, this comes out, but just <laughs> as we sit here on a on a Tuesday morning. Yeah, well, a, a good disclaimer there, Jonathan, to throw in. If there are no tickets left the time you're listening to this, don't blame us. Donald's question just before we go then was uh, how close to a call-up would Ethan McElroy uh, have been if it wasn't for his injury? Now, Jonathan, I didn't put him up to this whatsoever, but uh, Ethan, he would have been in there, wouldn't he? I'm not sure I believe you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, like, we do know that um, Dan McFarland and Andy Farrell have had conversations about Ethan McCroy and the progress that he's made. Like, I think it might be a little bit soon in terms of just his experience and exposure because we are talking about somebody who has really just um, become a regular starter this year. I do think it would have been good to see him in the squad in the same way that, like, I don't know necessarily if we're going to see Jimmy O'Brien play in this tournament, but the value of being in a camp and seeing how things work, like we've we've heard Balakin talk about that, the value that he got being involved going all the way back to uh, 2020 Six Nations. Like, and I'm sure Mike Laurie is another example, feels more comfortable, even though he's still uncapped, having been in previous camps without ultimately getting into a test. So uh like it would have been it, w- it would have been a good exposure for him, I think, maybe if he hadn't have been injured, you know, this week being a dying week for Ulster anyway. Yeah. I'm just hoping those noises weren't another Ireland uh, injury update coming in. It's not, thank goodness. Uh, or else we'd have had to start all over again. But that is uh, all we have time for this week before we do get something else coming through, through from Ireland. So this weekend then, of course, Ireland against Italy on Sunday at 3pm, as we say. And before that, Ireland under-20s playing Italy on Friday at 8pm. That's on the BBC player as all the under-20s games have been this uh, Six Nations. So that's all we have time for this week. We will be back next week to look at that uh, back at that game against Italy and uh, to look ahead to Ulster's return to action which is at home to Cardiff on uh, Friday week the 4th of March so from Adam Henry, Jonathan Bradley and myself Gareth thank you very much for listening